Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8. But before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us this morning, and we thank you that you've given us your word, that we may know you, that we may know how to seek to live uh, more and more in, in the likeness of Christ, in obedience to you. So God, as we open up your word, God, may we read it and study it with the full intention of being obedient to it and strengthen us to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So this week we are continuing our series in the book of Romans, and we're beginning in in chapter 12. And, And we've taken two weeks so far to look at the first two verses in Romans chapter 12, and now we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8. And remember, we are beginning Romans in chapter 12 because it is the beginning of the practical application, and it's a great way to begin the new year. Because after 11 chapters of doctrine, where, where Paul is helping his readers and, and us to understand what the gospel is and what it means for us, Paul now goes on to say, because all that is true, now we're called to live the gospel, live it out in our lives. He says to begin uh, chapter 12, just as a refresher for us, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And now we begin this morning's passage. Romans 12, verse 3, we read, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, uh, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So so there are three things that jump out at us from this passage that we're going to be digging into uh, this, this morning. First, we see humility, where Paul says not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The second we see is unity, one body in Christ. And the third we see is purpose, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And it is not a mistake that this is the order that Paul uses as each is a necessary precedent to the next. You don't get to unity without humility, and you don't get to purpose without unity. So if we want to be effective in anything that we do, it begins with humility. And and when I say effective, I don't mean efficient. I I, I don't even mean numerically. I mean being faithful in what we're called to do. Being faithful in our true mission of planting the good news of Jesus Christ. The true gospel of the mercies of God, of Christ crucified, Christ dying because of our sin, but on the third day he rose again, and because of that, we share in his resurrection. 
but it's by faith in him alone that we are made acceptable before God. So our sin is covered in the blood of Christ, and we have the hope of salvation because of that. So our mission is to plant the good news of Jesus, but that's not all. We have the mission of growing mature disciples as well. Our, our, so so our, our mission to grow mature disciples is not a mile wide and puddle deep. It is a mile deep and to the ends of the earth. Right? And that happens with maturity. Mature disciples, those secure in Christ, and then the more secure in Christ we are, the more grace-filled we are. And, and the more humble our spirit becomes. And from that comes a deep and abiding joy and strength from God that, that our roots have grown deep and we have that secure foundation that causes us to no longer be tossed and turned by popular opinion, but to be fixed as one who is unoffendable one who's unafraid, one who's unshakable. For we are fixed to the very source of life and hope and love and peace and truth and joy and comfort to the very creator of all things who calls us his sons and daughters. It's a marvelous thing to be secured in Christ. And then finally, our, our, our mission is, the third part of our mission is to harvest the fruit of the Spirit for the needs of the world. It's the third part of our mission statement to harvest that mature fruit that is sweet and nutritious, and then it goes and it replicates and it bears more and more and more and more good fruit across the world. And this all begins with humility. In verse 3, Romans 12, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It begins with humility, our faith, our unity, and our purpose. They all find their, their good and nutritious root in humility, thinking of ourselves sober-mindedly, not thinking too highly of ourselves, and, and also doing it reasonably. If we know we are gifted, use those gifts. Don't hide them as a feign of humility. Use them with zeal, knowing they're from God. The, the thing with humility is, is that to ourselves, we're the most important person in the world. Okay, so that's our nature. And that's, that's just how we are. And that's why when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, that is a radical statement. It's a radical statement. And that's why Paul says in Philippians to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So humility considers others better than ourselves, meaning when you're in a conversation with somebody, consider that there is something that that person can teach you. You can learn from them, and there's something we can learn from anyone. And then the more we hold ourselves up to the light of Christ, the more we see those areas in, our, in ourselves where we fall short. You know, we can look to our neighbors and say, wow. Man, I, I thought I was grace-filled. But, but look at Alistair, man. He puts me to shame. You know, I, I thought I was, you know, thoughtful. But, but look at Kim. Man, she is so thoughtful. I thought I was discerning. But look at Ed. I, I thought I was creative. But you know, look at Rick Dusha. Man. Look at Andrew Mess. And so many creative people in our church. I thought I had a servant's heart. But look at Dan. Look at Fred. And I could go on and on and on. And I, I'd actually like to go on and on and on. Because I want to encourage you guys in your gifts that God has gifted you so. He's gifted you. I want to encourage you in that because man, you guys have so encouraged me and my gifts. And that's just how we, we, what we do. 
we point those things out in each other and encourage us to grow and use them. We want to use them. It's humbling to consider the gifts of others and what we can learn from others. And, and it's pretty easy around here at KCC to be pretty quickly humbled when you look around at the amazing faithful people who call KCC home. And may that, may that cause in us a desire to grow, to emulate those things that we see in others that we love. Man, I, I want to be more like that. Man, I see Jesus and I want to be more like that. And that's thinking in humility. Humility isn't picking faults in our neighbors. It, it is seeing their virtues and, and, and their needs and then considering their needs, their interests before our own. And when you get there, that's not just humility. That's godly love. And as we do this, it's important to apply it across all mediums, across all interactions with others, because this is so much easier when it's done face-to-face, isn't it? One-on-one. But, but when you're in your car, <laughs> when, you're, you know, when, when, there's a, when there's a divide between you and the other person, there's a screen dividing you, you know, when, when you're online, you know, when you're on social media, this becomes a little more difficult, doesn't it? So, so one way that, that can change our perception, that can help us with this, is to, is to pray and to ask God, God, give me your eyes to see this person as you see them. Give me your heart to love this person as you love them. And suddenly, you see a person that Christ laid his life down for. That God has placed such a high value on them that Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing to take on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross for you and for that person before you. Because even if you're separated by you know, a steel box of a car or by a screen, it is a person that Christ died to be a ransom for. So love them in that same way. Because Christ is our standard of humility. So Paul says, have that same mind of Christ. And as we do that, we take a sane view of ourselves. Right? Paul says, to think with sober judgment. Humility is not a low opinion of self, but an honest and accurate one. That yes, in Christ we are redeemed, we, we are a new creation, and yet I have a long ways to go in that sanctification process that Brian uh, talked about last week. That, sanct- that sanctification process where, where, where the, that God is bringing about this transformation in us as we work in tandem with him, right? pursuing a deeper trust and a deeper obedience in God. It's that co-working with him as we abide in him. And that won't be done until we exchange these bodies for new ones. It's a life, lifelong process. So we think with sober judgment, as Paul says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we can't even take credit for our level of faith. That too is from God. Uh, remember when Jesus asks his, his disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, and Matthew records this for us. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, you've not discovered this. God has revealed it to you. Wow. So, so faith is enabled by God. And as Paul says, it is assigned. 
And, and in case you're like, Man, well, God needs to assign me greater levels of faith then, we can go to Luke 17.5 and, and read that the apostles said to the Lord, they said, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus implies the very smallest levels of faith can change the landscape before you. So, so Jesus is like, you don't need me to increase your faith. You need to act in accordance to the faith that you've been given. Faith is a central theme in, in Romans. and In fact, throughout all of Scripture it is. But, but we'll be talking more and more about faith as, as we continue to go through Romans. So we're not going to do an in-depth study of it right now because uh, there's a lot to say about it. We'll do that later. So back to humility here in Romans 12. We read that God has given faith as a measure, and one cannot exercise any gifts apart from faith. So it is God-given in every way, gifts and faith. So conclusion, we have no reason to be arrogant. We really don't. And medita- meditating on this causes that arrogance in us to die. All we have is from God. Every good and perfect thing is from above. Each breath we take is from his mercy. Each new day is by his grace. My life is, not, is totally from him. My aptitude is, is totally from him. My joy, my strength, my hope is from him. My salvation is from him. Thus, humility proceeds from a sober judgment of ourselves. That it is by, it is by God alone. It's by God alone. It's from God alone. Now this brings us to verse 4, and the second emphasis Paul has, which is unity. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So, so we're one body in Christ, individually members one of another. We're in Christ, and we belong to each other. So just as with, with, with your own body, you know, when you cut your finger, you slam it in the car door, you tend to that finger because it, it's a part of you. It's part of your body. You care for it. It will let you know when it's hurt, and the body cares for it because we're individually members of one another, made one in Christ. So it's not as if, you know, we all meld together and become, you know, one consciousness, you know, kind of a new age idea, we become one consciousness together. No, no, we are not like hive-minded, you know, and drones. We are individually members one of another. So, so we belong to each other, which means a great deal of responsibility to each other. But we're different. We maintain our individuality. Just as each part of our body is different and serves different functions, so too with us. Interesting to note, Paul uses this analogy of body, uh, of being a body uh, concerning unity uh, many times in his writings. Uh, it's one of his favorite an- analogies about unity because it's so good. But here, when Paul says we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, this is slightly different than what he says in Colossians and uh, Ephesians where in Colossians he writes, and he is the head of the body of the church. He's the head of the body of the church. Paul here in Romans does not speak of the body of Christ, um, as he does in Colossians and Ephesians, but that we are one body in Christ. One body in union with Christ. 
And there's no contradiction here. It's simply a different way of understanding it. In both cases, Christ is the head. He is the unifier and director. But here in Romans, we just get a greater sense of the unity within Christ. He's the central nervous system. And when we live in greater sync with him, we function better as a body. We're healthier. We experience a unity that does not reduce us to uniformity. See, it would be weird if your whole body was made up of pinky fingers. That'd be a weird-looking body. So, so it's good that we're different. We're unique. That's God's design. But we don't revel in our uniqueness. In humility, we say, I'm a foot, and I know I have an essential purpose in this church, in the body of Christ. But without the hands, man, we can't even get dressed in the morning. So in humility, we say, thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are your hands, who function as the hands in the body of the church. We belong to each other. We have a shared calling in Christ and also individual callings in Christ. Our body moves with the purposes of Christ. Right? That's our shared mission statement we talked about earlier. And as we do that, we have individual callings within that. Right? Within the greater calling, God's placed different callings on, on each of our lives, different passions, and that's good. That's great. But, but warning about that and caution with that, personal callings and passions outside of, of our mission as a church. They're wonderful, but don't try to force everyone to be passionate about what you're passionate about. That's like saying, man, if everybody was a hand, we'd be so much better off. Okay, would we? I'm not so sure. Right? So I think it would, it would deviate us from our main mission so we can support one another in our different callings with the understanding that none of them supersede the great calling, the great commission Jesus gave the church to go into all the world, teaching and training up disciples, training up others to go and do likewise. And if we miss that, we miss that the problems we see around this world stem from, stem from nowhere else except the human heart. Okay, and only God can change the human heart. Only the light of Christ entering and breathing our spirits back to life Giving us his spirit can change the human heart. So we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. So we seek unity, but not at the expense of truth. The true gospel, not the prosperity gospel, not the progressive gospel, not the gospel of works righteousness, which all of these are so consumed with me, me, me. Me, 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 what I want, what I need, what you need to do and what you need to say. No, it is the gospel that is from God, that is by God, that is for God, that we preach, that he has done it. It's about him. It's not about what I've done, what I get, what I do. There's no work of our own that has earned our salvation. And this is a distinct watermark of true Christianity that separates it from other religious beliefs. That, that it is by grace alone we've been saved through faith alone. It is the most freeing and wonderful message that Christ, God incarnate, came in the flesh and died and rose again, and now he bids us to come after him and come and die, denying our identity and anything else but himself. Meaning we cease seeking to justify ourselves. We cease seeking to make ourselves righteous. We instead come and die in humility and receive the gift of grace that's freely given. It is the great test of our lifetime. Will we realize that we are but beasts and humble ourselves before God? 
or will we in pride set ourselves above God and above his word? And, and, and the crazy part is that, that in our pride, in, in our desire to be right in our own eyes, we become enslaved. And in our desire to, to put ourselves over God's word, say we're going to do what we think is right and moral and good, we become enslaved to the world and to its whims and to the shifting tides. And yet, in humility, when we submit ourselves to God, we are made free in Christ. There's a great freedom that comes with that. But our adversary, the devil, doesn't want anybody to know that. And how will they know that unless we tell them? That's our mission, given by Christ. So we must seek unity around the true gospel, the true Christ, as revealed in his word. And in that, a supernatural unity takes place in him. A.W. Tozer writes in The Pursuit of God, saying, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They're of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard, to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turning their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So we grow in greater unity when we keep our gaze fixed on Christ. That perfect standard that unites us all. Chuck Colson writes in his book, The Body, he says, Calvin, who saw that the devil's chief device was disunity and division, and who preached that there should be friendly fellowship for all ministers of Christ, made a similar point in a letter to a trusted colleague, writing, among Christians, there ought to be so great a dislike of schism as that they may always avoid it so fast as lies in their power, that there ought to prevail among them such a reverence for the ministry of the word and the sacraments that wherever they perceive these things to be, there they must consider the church to exist. Nor need it be of any hindrance that some points of doctrine are not quite so pure, seeing that there is scarcely any church which has not retained some remnants of former ignorance. So, so this is important. Right? We don't go around you know, with big heads at, at KCC, we're the most doctrinally pure church you know, around. No, we recognize Yes, we need to get the important things right. We need to be careful with our doctrine and get those things right based off Scripture. We need to get the nature of Christ right, and that he has come and he died and he rose again. But there are also many little doctrinal differences that have caused so many different denominations to, to rise up, um, like, like you know, how we organize the church, how we organize leadership, how we do confirmation, you know, when we do baptisms, when we do communion, how we do those things. So many little, little differences like that. So, so we recognize in humility, our theology won't be perfect until we are with God. And, and, and now we, we see as though dimly, but then we will see clearly. Then we will see in full. So we love and support and pray for the other churches in town. And man, are we blessed to have so many wonderful churches in Kingsburg. And it's, it's the most amazing thing when you meet Christians you know, around town, and, and even more amazing when you meet them across the world. And you find that unity with them. It's like when, when Joanna and I, 
we spent a summer in Uganda, and, and the believers there were our brothers and sisters, but we just hadn't met them yet. And then, you know, when we did, it was this immediate, deep, familial connection in Christ, and we belonged to each other. And it was humbling to see their great joy, their great faith in the Lord, you know, and the, despite the opposition they faced, despite the poverty and the needs that they faced, they were alive in Christ. And man, is that humbling to see. And one day, we will be reunited for all eternity, and we'll get to meet all of our long-lost brothers and sisters we never had the chance to meet here on this earth. But, but we'll, we'll have that unity with them, the supernatural unity in Christ, because we're a family, and we're all tuned to that same fork, that same standard of Christ and the Word of God, and the Spirit of Christ in us resonates with the Spirit of Christ in them. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Paul goes on in verse 6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You were made with a purpose. You were gifted with gifts. Use them, brothers and sisters. Use them to the fullest with zeal. I love that word, with zeal. Do it with great energy. Do it with great enthusiasm, with a fervor, with love. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, we read, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What good is it if that gift is not shared? Imagine this Christmas. You went and got loads of gifts, and you wrapped them wonderfully in this beautiful wrapping paper, and then you left them under your tree, never giving them away. What good is that? Now, now there's, there's, there's a lot of people who, who have left the church, right? They still believe, but they've left, either because, you know, being a part of the church, you know, maybe they were hurt at some point. Maybe it just, they got too busy. It, it took a lot of time and effort, energy, it, it, and you get hurt, and sometimes, and unfortunately, there's some pretty toxic leaders, uh, church leaders, that, that will come about and really do some damage to people. And those, and those leaders are going to be accountable before God one day. Uh, but and you've never come back to a local church. You've been too fearful to come back. There are many, many, many reasons that, that believers are not part of a local body. And some have a deep and abiding faith. But I'll ask again, what good is a gift in isolation? What good is a gift if it's not given? See, you might not think that you need the local church but the local church needs you. And Christ has called you to be a member of his body. He calls us his bride, the church. 
to be one body in him and individually members of one another with different gifts to, to bring to the table, to share. And it can be messy. It can be really hard. It can demand a lot from us. But it's so, so worth it. It's so worth it. And, and you know, I hate to break it to you, church, uh, but we're not the cool kids by any stretch of the imagination. We're not the cool kids, right? We're not like the popular kids, you know, on campus. Uh, but when we are getting it right, when we're getting the gospel right, we're pretty cool to be around. And I think that's far better. When Christians get the gospel right, when the body of Christ is in unity in him, when they're striving up to the high calling in him, they're the most grace-filled, the most loving, the most compassionate, the most forgiving people you'll ever meet. And they're pretty cool to be around. So be a part of the body of Christ. Share your gifts with others. And again, it begins with humility. Because a gift is a gift. And we ought not to think too highly of ourselves because of our gifts. Because being gifted doesn't make us spiritually mature. Which is why so many gifted teachers go astray. They sin out of ministry. Or, or, or they start preaching and teaching things that kind of make your head turn sideways. And I know it kind of sounds like they enjoyed the fame more than they enjoyed God and being faithful to God. So there's got to be maturity that comes with the gifts. And it's, it's got to begin with humility. Setting ourselves under the authority of God's word, recognizing our gifts, and then use them, <laughs> exercise them for the kingdom, not just for ourselves. So think, think through, what are, you, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? How have you impacted and helped people in the past? And, and when those things come to mind, and you're like, wow, I, I think I'm pretty gifted at doing that. I, I've really helped people by, by doing this before. Okay, go and do more of that. Go do more of that. Uh, and, and, and bless people around you. Share your gifts. And, and so we see it begins with humility. And that leads to unity, which leads to our purpose, our unique giftedness to be used in support of the mission of the body of Christ. And then we repeat. We repeat that cycle. <laughs> Unless we get a big head about our gifts, we, we take a real honest look at our heart and admire the gifts of God uh, that he's given to others. And we then were inspired to, to use our gifts again. So, so we've been doing that a long time here at KCC, but, but it's a new year. And, and do not allow the craziness of this past year to distract you from God's unique calling on your life. Right? May God be exalted in each of us, and may we be freely giving our gifts to one another, serving one another, building up one another in Christ. Amen? Amen.